Welcome aboard the Jungle Cruise. I'll be your skipper and guide down the rivers of adventure. You know, we always turn and take a last good look at the dock and wave goodbye because uh, <laughs> we may never see it again. Oh, the jungle VIP I've reached the top and had to stop And that's what's bothering me I want to be a man Dear age, relive fond memories of the past And youth, savor the challenge and promise of the future Hello and welcome, you're listening to Mouse Madness A podcast dedicated to bracketing all things Disney I'm Chris Bowersox And I'm Kyle Skinner And we're your hosts for Mouse Madness each episode will focus on a single Disney topic, generate a bracket, and debate our way through the madness to figure out who or what is truly the best. Follow us and play along on Twitter at Mouse Madness Pod, or send us an email at mousemadnesspodcast at gmail.com. Kyle, we're back. We're talking best 1955 Disneyland attraction back in our park's element, and... Uh, I'm excited to to break things down further. I am a little bit sad that all of our defunct attractions got knocked <laughs> off last week. Yeah, darn. Uh, but but not really. I think there's an opportunity for those to be resurrected if we ever do a uh, a, a 1955 quintessential bracket. Um, but we're talking best 1955 attraction uh, on this one, and yeah, uh, we had to send some home that were very much the weird of 1955, which is right in our wheelhouse, uh, considering we did an entire DCA 1.0 bracket. So I'm excited to talk more about a lot of these dark rides um, and about some of these park classics. And to help us crown a winner this episode, it is our friend Tess. She is back for part two. Tess, how's it going? It's going great. I got my Joel Lip shirt on. I Woo! got my... Peter Pan uh, ears on and my Peter Pan mug going. So I'm ready to go. There you go. There you go. It's interesting. When I was at um, Disneyland, I was going through the mugs because I love me a good Disney mug and have way too many of them. Um, but I I couldn't find anything that was, you know, stood out to me as, as buyable. So uh, report back. Let me know. Let me know if you see anything when you're when you're in the parks because I didn't. <laughs> I was very sad about it. Well, when I go into the parks, I have to look for things that I haven't already found at Downtown Disney since I frequent <laughs> yeah, that. So yeah, <laughs> then maybe not. Maybe you won't find anything else. <laughs> uh, speaking of the parks, Chris. We uh we're gonna talk a little bit more about our trip. We're gonna talk about some of the the not so great things we experienced after talking about the greatness that was uh our visits back from the pandemic. And before we do, we need to get into the mood. We need to get settled. We need to have a drink in hand. It is time for a spoonful of sugar. Chris, what you got? So uh, resourcefulness is the name of the game. When you are planning a move. You want to limit the amount of things that you bring into this house. I mean, sure. literally everything, like think before you make any purchase. So, I mean, that's the case for, for making beverages. <laughs> so I went into the fridge today. I'm like, what kind, of, what kind of liquids do we have in here? And I found a bottle of Pedialyte. It is a <laughs> CVS brand Electrolyte Max Electrolyte Solution. It is cherry pomegranate flavored. And this is totally counterproductive to make a mixed drink out of Pedialyte because this is what you drink to not be hungover. Right. 
So I threw some mezcal in here. Oh my gosh. And I'm not going to lie. This might be the best <laughs> like uh, improvised mixer like I've ever had. Um, it's got that kind of saltiness that Pedialyte has and that smokiness of the mezcal. I'm going to try it again right now. <laughs> oh my gosh. It's in, for everyone listening, it's in Ooh. the Pedialyte bottle. Ooh. It's not even poured into anything. <laughs> it's like a sidewalk slammer style. And it, it's, it does not smell good. Like, it smells like feet, but it tastes like imagination. And I don't know, like, I want to name this drink something like 1955 uh, Parks related. But it, so it feels like a, a Frontierland thing, you know? Oh, no. Like, um, oh, the smokiness. So maybe it's a Rainbow Cavern. No, there it's you got go. kind of the, like, uh, fruitiness of the cherry pomegranate. The sweetness, <laughs> but it's also got that kind of smoke. Like it tastes like maybe the Rainbow Caverns might taste like, or maybe smell like. I don't know. Uh, I'm into it. I'm so into it. I like this might be a thing for me. Like moving <laughs> forward. Uh, what about you, Kyle? I have a beer from Almanac Beer Company here in Oakland. Uh, it is called the Helicoastal. It is a, a a Kolsch that came in a label that looks like the like high C like orange juice uh label and this was another thing that was just kind of in our fridge that i decided to try and it's good if you like a colch if you like a, a lighter crisp ale it's good it was made uh for 510 day our our area or our um yeah our area code is 510 and so on may 10th this was a a local uh, breweries celebration of that uh, and the summer that was approaching and it, it's tasty and I I like that it is this this like high C um, label because it, that gives me big Pizza Planet vibes like they definitely serve like high C out of the the vending machine or out of the the soda <laughs> fountain there uh, oh, which yeah. replaced uh, our our long forgotten rocket to the moon so that's what I'm gonna go with that's how I'm gonna connect it to this episode. Tess, what do you have in your Peter Pan mug? So I couldn't decide which. Um, I'm all about not buying a bunch of mixers or buying bottles of alcohol that are going to take me forever to get through. So I am all about the like cut water or Bacardi pre-mixed alcohol in a can yeah. type of deal. So I can't, I couldn't really choose which one I was going to go for, which Bacardi rum drink I was going to go for. So we're going to call this second rum to the right. And I, <laughs> I'm starting with the mojito. <laughs> we'll see if I get to the rum. <laughs> Wait, that's so good. Second yeah. rum to the right. Oh my God. That is very good. That's yeah. Wow. You, you did your, your job on the naming side that we, uh, we're not always so great at. Chris, it's time. We both just got back from Disneyland not too long ago. We talked about the positives, loved us some Galaxy's Edge. I had some great food uh, experiences. Now it's time to talk about the things that maybe didn't go quite so well. And uh, you started off last time, so I'm going to dive into my list here. Number one, mobile ordering for food is so pointless, and especially in the way that they're operating currently. So they had they started introducing mobile ordering even pre-pandemic, and that seemed like an efficient way. And Tess, maybe you can let me know if I'm wrong about it, to get your food 
pre-pandemic. Did you ever use mobile ordering, food ordering before everything shut down? For sure. Um, depending on how busy it was, um, I would say I had like a 75% like success rate with it, with it being like what it supposed to be right um definitely the smaller scale um alcohol places like bayside brews or the um what is it called the hollywood lounge um over there um those would sometimes be far out and the lines would be longer because everyone wants to go get their beer um but otherwise it, it did its job pre-pandemic I'm glad that you brought up bayside brews because that was the first place that I had a bad experience with mobile ordering because Not only did you mobile order, but then you still had to just stand in the standby line. And then they didn't pour the beer until you got there anyways. So why did I mobile order ahead of time other than to pay without any sort of interaction, I guess, if I was just going to stand in the standby line and just pick up my beer from the same place that everyone else is picking up their beer? It just made no sense. Uh, They didn't have two different lines when you were there? No. And so what I think, and maybe, maybe... Yeah, pull the curtain back a little bit. We're recording this two episodes back to back, so Tess hasn't been to the parks yet. But uh, maybe by the time you go, uh, that will have changed. Like you'll be able to go order from or pick up your order from the pickup window that exists because that wasn't a thing when I was there. Um, and it was super annoying. Uh, I, Chris, I know that you had similar mobile ordering experiences. It was a fiasco. It was yeah. absolute. It was a joke. I mean, not even just the mobile ordering, but like the walk up ordering as well. Yeah. I was under the impression there would be no walk up food when I went, and and there and there was, but they were all like churros. Right. So, um, I, are you done talking about mobile ordering? Like, am I good to just run with it now? <laughs> you well, I will say I had one good experience, and it was at the Pim Test Kitchen, and I think that I had just snuck in. So the Pim Test Kitchen is the new. Uh, like bar, lounge, eatery at Avengers Campus. And I th- I like noticed that the mobile... So that's a place that they did have a mobile order pickup line uh, that you would go to the bar separate from the standby line because there's like a, a bar section of the restaurant and then there's the food section of the restaurant. And those were two separate lines. And so I walked by the mobile order pickup and noticed that there like wasn't anybody in it. So I went on and just like ordered my food and or ordered my drinks and it showed up 10 minutes later and I just hopped in line and was able to get it. And I was like, hell yeah, mobile ordering. That's how you do it. And then the next day we walked by and the mobile pickup was like all the way down to Guardians. Like there were so many people trying to pick up their drinks. Um, but we had a great experience with Pims, and I highly suggest uh, everyone go to Pims and get a drink because the drinks are fun and uh, they taste really good. But Chris, run away with it. Mobile ordering so, it sucks. So here's my day in food. Uh, beginning of the day, we went to Shawarma yeah. at Avengers Campus and we walked up and there was really no one in line. We placed the order with a cast member who had an iPad and then we like walked down to the end of the cart and the cashier already had our ticket and like i think we did an apple pay thing there and then we got our food and it was fine then we rode mission breakout and then we wanted to get a churro right outside of mission breakout yep i go to the woman who has the uh ipad and she was like okay like go down like you can go down to like order and so I went to the cashier and I and she was like, hi, what are you like? What are you having? And I was like, oh, we, we want a churro. 
And I like took out my card to pay. And she's like, oh, like you can't order here. And I was like, oh, because she told me to come down here. And then like I walked back to where the iPad cast member was. And then there were like five other people ordering from this person. And I was like, oh, excuse me. Like you told us to go over there. They told us to come over here. And she was like, oh, what are you having? And I was like, like we just want a churro. <laughs> it's, like, it's literally the only food you have here. Just give us one. Yeah. And then so she like put it in. And then we went back to the cashier. And then she was like, oh, what did you have? And I was like, uh, we had a churro. And then she uh, put it in on her computer and then I paid for it there. I'm like, so what was the so point? So what am I doing? So yeah. Like, yeah, what was the point of literally any of this? Yeah. So that was extremely frustrating. Yeah. So then we had to do the, mo- that, so then we were like, okay, we got a mobile order if we want any food that's not just a churro. But the mobile order pickup is like an hour away from when you want the food and the food is chicken nuggets and chicken tenders. <laughs> yeah. So we're like, all right, we need food because we didn't we didn't plan out like super far in advance. We didn't get dining reservations, but right. we needed sustenance to like fuel our day at Disneyland. Yep. So we're like, all right, we'll order some uh, chicken tenders from the Golden Horseshoe. All right, it's an hour away. Whatever, we're gonna ride Pirates of the Caribbean. Order. Okay, pickup window. So like, then you don't just like arrive when you said you wanted your food. Then you have to tell the app that you're there yep. for them to start making the food. Yep. And then you have to wait another like 45 minutes for them to actually make the food to give it to you. Right. Disaster. I, I just don't understand the point of it. Like you said, if you're just going to have to wait once you get there. Yeah. Everyone, everyone was, was confused. Like everyone's yeah. standing around these restaurants being like, are you, are like, is your order confirmed? Is your order pending have you ordered at all like we don't know at ronto roasters we ordered a juice that we paid for and by the time we got to pick it up they were out of the juice so they just gave us the other thing I'm like this, this wasn't even what we ordered so, an hour and a half ago i don't know like what it was yeah. so bad so so bad i have a feeling because it's so different now like and i think that's starting to it's starting to get better now that standby is going to be um, more, it's going to come back to normal what it was before pre-pandemic and it's starting to, but I don't think the app and the, and the pickup times are picking up with, um, are keeping up with uh, cast member capacity because they're still having a hell of a hard time. Yes, cast I agree. Staff. So it feels like they're, the mobile order is the same as before, <laughs> just from what I'm hearing from you guys, because it definitely wasn't like that pre-pandemic. So I have a feeling they just don't have enough cast members making the food. That. And according to today's uh, update from Mice Chat, they opened a lot of counter service food, and the waiting times for uh, mobile order is going down a lot. Good, 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 good. So, so I got like the worst of the worst of it. Yes, and then I got the mid tier, and Tess, you'll probably be breezing through, which is great for you. Um, so yeah, mobile ordering is a disaster. Uh, I hope that if it is getting better, that it does get better and stays better. Um, but was very happy that we had the reservations as I talked about last time. But also what was kind of clutch about the reservation system now is one test your tip to me, which is why I got Carthay was if you're a group of two, there's way more tables that are for people for groups larger than two. So just say three, they'll give you a four top. And then when you check in, you can check into your reservations now on the app. 30 minutes ahead of your time, as long as you're in the area and they might seat you earlier. And when you check in, they ask you how many people are in your group and you can bring up to one more 
person than your reservations for. So like we reserved for three for Carthay. When I checked in, I only checked in for two of us and we just had our table because there was no reservations available for just the two of us. So if you're listening and trying to work the system, Tess had told me that and it worked like a charm and it's great. Um, Second thing that I didn't like a ton about my trip to Disneyland is that there were so many more people on scooters that like this is going to sound awful, but I, I didn't know if they necessarily needed them. And there was one group in particular that was like six 30 somethings uh, and their kids and they had scooters that they looked like they were just like packing around so that they didn't have to walk with their kids like electric scooters so that their kids just sat on their laps the entire time which made it really difficult to uh, get around and I've I mean Disney has always had a an issue because you know you can't you can't you can't ask why anybody needs a scooter which is like great you shouldn't have to um but there's definitely people that take advantage of that system and they were out in droves so that they didn't have to walk around the parks this time around um so that was super unfortunate and not the greatest and then number 3 <laughs> the thing that i did not like was how they corralled us and i texted you chris because mm. i was like i'm experiencing this thing where they're we we stayed across the street at one of the good neighbor hotels and we just walked into the esplanade and they sent us all the way down the tram route and we corralled like cattle in the tram route until about 7.45 and then they let us all go into the esplanade. So they avoided like people just like crowding in the esplanade and instead we crowded on the tram route. And then once we were all going into the esplanade, if you were just waiting at the security gate at 7.45 at the Harbor Boulevard entrance, then you could just walk into the Esplanade because now the cattles are coming home. <laughs> and and like, why did we even do that? Um, so I just, I feel like their systems, there was something that made sense at the time in theory. And then in practice, it didn't. Mobile ordering and the the corralling of us before the gates opened in the morning were two of those so i didn't really like those uh those aspects of the trip but overall it was a fantastic one uh i had a lot of fun and i look forward to going back but chris what were some negatives for you oh boy well, that mobile ordering was a big one for me i think that that one was the one that affected my day the most oh, totally. when i was like this is this is ruining my experience i mean i will say i think i had one of one of my best disney trips just like the, the the low volume of people, the shorter wait times, uh, we got to do a lot. And I had a great time. I'm so happy that I was able to experience the parks still kind of in the midst of a pandemic. Very thankful to do so. But like you need food, you know, and that, that part was super unfortunate. Um, so that kind of takes me into my first problem is the reliance on technology really seems to reward super heavy Disney parks users yeah and uh for disney land park in particular like you look around at the clientele and it's a lot of people in mouse ears and in etsy shirts and uh in in pin lanyards and people that clearly know what they are doing and if you're one of those people who knows what you're doing great like you're gonna you're gonna have a great time thriving in the system that disney has set up yeah. but if you're if you're someone who doesn't 
know that you have to make reservations for dining six weeks in advance at 7 a.m. and get in a in a queue for two hours like you're you're not going to be able to experience all the park has to offer and that's unfortunate like imagine uh someone who is in their early 90s who like remembers disneyland in 1955 and one day they go i had such a great time as a little kid at disneyland i would love to go back today yeah and check out disneyland and see what it's like and you get to the gates and they go sorry you didn't make a reservation sorry yeah. you can't ride on you can't ride on the big attraction because you didn't do the um swipe up at exactly 7 a.m and get one of the boarding groups in the first 10 seconds sorry yeah can't do it it's just it makes me sad like as someone who took advantage of all these things it makes me sad that there are people who who won't be able to do it i was noticing the reliance on us having to operate through our phones from the boarding groups to the mobile ordering to the way you have your ticket set up. The whole park is just everyone who's not in line walking around, having to look at their phones for the next thing. And people like I maybe I just noticed it more this time, like people not watching where they're going <laughs> because they're oh, like yeah, on their phone yeah, yeah. trying to figure out what the next thing is, where where we're going. Which is like fine, I because I love to use my phone to do everything, and I think we this is the way that things should be going as us being able to use what's in our pocket at ease. Um, but it definitely we there is definitely a feel of no one being out of their houses in a very long time because we all forgot how to act in public when it comes to technology. <laughs> oh no, I got that. I got that like in a tons of different ways, like. Yeah. My mom was livid at the the length of time she had to wait to ride some of these attractions. I'm like, Mom, we're waiting 30 minutes for Pirates of the Caribbean. <laughs> like, yeah, this, this is not that bad. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, sorry, Mom. <laughs> <laughs> One other negative, Kyle. I feel like you were very like low key about the things that you did not like about your trip. I I was a little bit more harsh. Web Slingers was hot garbage. See, I don't think that it was hot garbage, but this is why I texted you. So my my Web Slingers experience was not the greatest because we got a, a later queue, uh, a later boarding pass. So we were like late morning. And then when we were in line, about 20 people from hopping on, the ride broke down. So we're and there's nowhere to leave because you, the queue goes indoors and then you're just kind of stuck there. It's a brand new ride. I don't know where the exit is. And I also don't know if it's going to be up and running anytime soon. So like on top of what already was about a 30 minute wait just to get through this massive queue, then the ride broke down for about 20 minutes. And so now I'm just sitting in this hot room uh, with a bunch of others just waiting for this thing to happen. So then then you get on and the ride felt very, very, very chaotic. But I texted you immediately when I was off of it that that entire ride and that entire area of Avengers Campus, before you even get in deep, just feels like, and maybe it's because they already had the heroes, just feels Six Flags. Like, we, we get it. Industrial buildings, brickwork, tin. That's the aesthetic of a lot of the queue in Web Slingers with a lot of switchbacks. And I just was like, I'm not even at Disneyland right now. It's really, it was, so it, I had no expectations for the ride, um, but the experience wasn't 
the greatest. And then going on it, I was like, I don't even know what's happening. My this is way too fast for my brain right now. <laughs> it's just such exactly. a fast ride. Exactly. Right. It's so hectic and like something about that like motion of like both arm web slinging. Yeah. And there being so many <laughs> targets on the screen at once moving so quickly. There's no art to the attraction. It's just no. like flail there's is- no skill to it either. It's just like, yeah, let's just flail about. I was sitting on the far left and I had the gold like a uh, web. I swear I saw purple webs coming out of my hand, blue webs come like from the oh, other players in the car. Uh-huh. I just don't know that like the AR like or whatever picks up my my hand correctly when I'm like reaching over to the person sitting next to me kind of like slinging off to the side. So the the scores I'm really skeptical. Honestly. Yeah, we didn't we didn't experience that at least nobody in my car had said and I didn't at all. I was sitting in the middle of it was me, Nina and then another couple. And uh Nina ended up getting the highest score in the car, which she was very proud of. Um, but yeah, I just didn't know what I was doing the entire time. I just don't remember a lot of the attraction mm-hmm. outside of the pre-show. You know, like it, there was just a lot of spiders, and I pre-show was great. I liked the pre-show. I, oh, it was, but like I tore my elbow trying to like <laughs> f- frantically shoot webs out of my fingers. Yeah, and you know, like you, you already have a screen like a screen centric shooter in California adventure and midway mania. And I ride that ride 10 out of 10 times over, over web slingers. Yeah. You know, so, yeah. uh, as we, as we move forward and, and hopefully get to go to the parks more often, uh, that will be a ride. I will be sitting out on <laughs> um, just because I, I just think it's a waste of time. I don't think I'll sit out on it, but I, uh, I definitely, I don't know. It's the same with midway mania, to be honest, like, those interactive games are, or rides are super fun, um, but I'm never sad if I miss them because they're very involved. <laughs> it's like so, it's like the canoes. I don't want to go on the canoe because I don't want to do any work. Um, same thing with these, but yeah. I got some. I got some exercise science for you. So there are two types of muscles, muscle fibers: fast twitch and slow twitch. The slow twitch muscle fiber is the one that hurts like days after you exercise it. Like if you do uh, glutes or hamstrings in the gym, you're going to feel it for a yep. while. Uh, and then there's fast twitch. I might have these reversed, but then we'll say for, for the sake of this conversation, <laughs> and there's fast twitch, which are, which are muscles that uh, are much better at being active and then recover quickly. So your forearms and your shoulders are a good example of fast twitch muscles. So when you do uh, the midway mania ride, yeah, you get a lot of forearm and you get a lot of shoulder. And so they're, it's going to burn yeah. when you're doing the midway, but five minutes after the ride's over, you're fine. And this then- like full body <laughs> arm, like slinging action. Like you get some pectoral in there, which is a slow twitch. You get some tricep in there, which is a slow twitch. And so it's like, I, I didn't feel good like yeah. the rest of the day after just like doing that kind of motion, which also is like really hard on the elbow itself, <laughs> which is not a muscle. It's a joint. You want to be careful with that. So, so test didn't, all didn't, that's to say, stretch it out, stretch, stretch it out before you, you hop need on this. to stretch. 
massage your massage your forearm area and massage your tricep area before you do the rest. I haven't been preparing for that, but I have been walking long distances because I mean, yeah. I I yeah. mean, the, the, it's still only going to be twelve hours when Mandy and I go, but. I mean, we would hit 27,000 steps, you know? Oh, yeah. So oh, we I'm did. Not- yeah. We both days we hit 24K. Like it, it's it's too much. It's a lot. Yeah. So. And and that is a perfect segue to my final <laughs> con. And honestly, like it's kind of a pro. I mean, this is something that Disneyland Resort has been trying to accomplish for 20 years. The Disneyland Resort is finally a multi-day experience. Yeah. Fine. Like Big with time. like the Avengers campus was the icing on the cake. Star Wars probably put it over the edge, but there are officially too many attractions to ride in one, in one day. day. Yep, I agree. And especially if you want to factor into some of those slower things like the Mark Twain or like spending an hour and a half eating lunch at the Blue Bayou or riding the Disneyland Railroad. There's just there's just too much. You yeah. have to you have to spread it out. And so, you know, for someone like me who you know, came for the first time in three years and is not staying overnight. I didn't do everything. I did a lot, but I didn't do everything. I didn't get to ride in credit coaster. Still haven't been able to ride that attraction oh like gosh. at all since the <laughs> overhaul. We sat out on Soren. We sat out on uh Small World. It was like another big one that like usually we get on that one. Like you said, Tess, the operating hours are still limited, but uh, it still felt like just just so much uh, to do, so something to think about, and like it, it's a little bit more painful as the ticket price goes up. Like we paid one ninety for a park hop, so like, I mean, two days, family of five, like you're, you know, yeah. This is this is a vacation destination now, yeah, or a park for locals who don't need to do everything all at once. Exactly. Uh, no longer a weekend warrior spot is what I'm trying to say, <laughs> which is what I used to do. Like we used to park up. We do. We hit uh, screaming, soaring, tower of terror, and we're out of California adventure, <laughs> yeah. you know, and the park hopper tickets worth it. Yeah, exactly. So it made me a little bit sad that I didn't get to ride on some of the classics and I didn't have the opportunity to do some of those slower things throughout my day. Um, but like I said, it's kind of a good and a bad. Yep. Totally. Totally. So, Everyone, if you're planning a trip, uh, there's there's the things we liked and didn't like. Uh, you know, it's gonna the experience is going to be different even as you hear this, uh, because it's gonna be so far removed and and the the landscape of these parks are gonna look so different. So, uh, we hope you enjoy it, uh, Tess. We really look forward to hearing back about yours because I think uh, you're gonna have even a different experience, an elevated experience than what we did, um, and that's gonna be good. That's gonna be good. Oh, can I just point out one thing? Sure. Uh, Guardians of the Galaxy Mission Breakout, like, confirmed. So dumb. Mm. I hate that ride. Mm. I hate it so much. Well, for the first time, I got a different song, and I've been on that attraction, like, eight times, and I always get Hit Me With Your Best Shot, and this past time, I got a new song. It was amazing. What'd you get? I don't even remember, but it was just wasn't <laughs> Hit Me With Your Best Shot, and that's all I cared I got, about. I got one that was, uh, like, hit the anti-gravity and so the the drop sequence was kind of like floaty yes, that's the one that i got too okay i loved it 
I just like that's not a drop tower. That's like something entirely different. Like ninety nine percent of a drop tower is the anticipation of when am I gonna drop? Could be now, and they're just I don't know. Oh goodness! Oh yes! All right. Rant, Enough with the contemporary stuff. Yeah. Enough with the contemporary stuff. It is time to dive into nineteen fifty five. We have a best nineteen fifty five attraction to pick out. To remind everybody, the demographic that chose this were the Snapchatters of the Spider Man robot at Avengers Campus. That sent it to all their friends to tell them how cool it was. And we were left with an Elite Eight after all of that with no defunct attractions on it. It is the number one Jungle Cruise versus the number eight Mark Twain Riverboat. Number 13 Mr. Toad's Wild Ride versus the number five King Arthur's Carousel. Across the brackets, the number two Peter Pan's Flight versus the number seven Dumbo the Flying Elephant. And rounding out the Elite Eight, it is the number three Disneyland Railroad versus the number 11 Snow White and Her Adventures. We'll start over at the Jungle Cruise uh, versus the Mark Twain River Boat. Went into a lot of detail about the Jungle Cruise's jungle, how it is an actual jungle, and it is a self-sustaining ecosystem, with, which I think is pretty incredible. And they uh, talked about it in the OC Register in 2010. Uh, while landscaping crews Work in the jungle every day. They try to leave it alone except for pruning the higher trees and making sure the plants don't interfere with the animatronic animals that guests see. They even leave most of the fallen leaves on the ground to let the nutrients naturally return to the soil, just like in the jungles of the Amazon or Africa. So I just think that like the fact that this area and this ride can just be self-sustaining. Tess brought up like the, the phantom boats took a lot of cast members to run and a lot of overhead in order to do it. Talk about an efficient attraction if you don't need to spend the time and money on horticulture, which they do a ton of at Disneyland because everything needs to be perfect and pristine except for the jungle, which can just kind of be wild in itself. I think that's, I I don't know, maybe I'm just nerding out, but I think that is awesome. The 55 iteration, obviously very different from now. We talked about it. It was a serious adventure in adventure land. And now it's kind of making fun of the fact that this was an adventure in adventure land. Now it's a, it's a show. It's more of a place where uh, uh, hopeful stand-up comedians can get their shot at, at reciting a script and hopefully making you laugh with really dumb puns. Um, Chris, do you do you like the Jungle Cruise script? Do you when you go on, do you smile and have a good time as the skippers are saying these jokes? This is like I have a weird relationship with this attraction. Same. Like this is this is <laughs> this is one like I don't I don't really have nostalgia for. It's one I I normally skip. I think the the line is a little bit long for me for like what you get. Yeah, I did go through a like I was a high school drama kid, and like I was like I want to be a Jungle Cruise skipper one day. Like I I love this. This is this would be my dream job. Uh, so like there was a period there where I was really into it, and I tried to memorize all of it and whatnot. But like today, as we ride the attraction, and everyone on the boat knows all the words, I'm kind of like, all right, guys, like. Is this it, like have we hit diminishing marginal returns on like the Jungle Cruise and like the the skipper shtick? Yeah, I have the same kind of back and forth with the attraction as you do because uh, the people on the boat that also recite 
are annoying. Any attraction that they do that, even if it's pirates and people are singing along to the song, please be quiet. I want to enjoy this attraction in silence <laughs> and hear absolutely everything that's happening around me, but not you singing. Um, but there's this other podcast, not to plug another podcast on our podcast, but it's called Tales from the Jungle Cruise. And uh, it's a skipper from Disneyland who uh, interviews other skippers from the history of the ride from 55 until present day. And it's just really cool because I have an appreciation now for these skippers and they're they're kind of like FBC counselors. It's like a bunch of just young, outgoing, crazy kids that are reciting the same jokes over and over again for like 14 straight rides and then take a break and come do it again. So I have an appreciation for their stamina because the, you you can never really tell, or at least I've never been able to tell if somebody's like, I'm over it. This is my 15th ride of the day. I'm tired of this script. They've done a really good job in my experience of hiding that. I can tell you like as a former studio tour guide where you develop and reuse the same joke like yeah. over and over again. If you're getting a positive response from your audience, I like I don't mind repeating it. But sure. like in the Jungle Cruise there's a lot of like dead air, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and they have to sell it a lot more, right? Cuz they they have the whole shtick of like things going wrong and they're spinning the wheel and they're panicking and they're telling people to duck. Like that's a lot of energy that uh, I don't know if I would have every single day, but I really like this attraction a lot. Uh, It's a, it's a fun one to get off your feet on talking about how much we have to walk at these parks. It's nice to sit and go through that actual real life jungle. Now I'm excited to see what the new iteration of it looks like uh, once they're done renovating it uh, here in a couple months, hopefully. It's up against the Mark Twain Riverboat, which I didn't pass on last time because of its kind of history and colonialism and just what that ideal life of the West was portrayed as. Uh, That's just the history of Disney in general. They weren't very good at (laughs) predicting what was kind of in poor taste. It's a product of its time. But I do enjoy... Jungle Cruise as well. Jungle Cruise as well, which is why they're changing it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. but the the Mark Twain is a is a nice ride around the the river. I mean, I'm not like you who's like waving at people because honestly, like I don't want you. I don't want to see you. Just no, what? I'm just here by myself. What? No, no, no. If I just want to sit here and just be quiet and and ride around the river for eight minutes and not interact. When people wave, in fact, I had this thought on my trip because we were on the riverboat and people were waving to us from the shore, and I just sat there. I was like, I, I don't know you. I'm never, I don't know you. I'm never going to see you again, which is the line you said last episode, except it's the different context for me. I don't know you. I don't want to wave at you. Exactly. Um, That's why you should wave at <laughs> No, I don't, I don't care about them. Um, it's, I, yeah, it's relaxing. It's a, it's a super relaxing ride. Um, I, it makes the river important. The river, uh, the rivers of America, is a great show place for Fantasmic, but the fact that there's so much traffic on it happening all the time just makes that corner of the park feel so authentic. Uh, you're walking around the river bend, and maybe you'll see one of the rafts out to the to the river that's taking a bunch of people, or, or to the river to the island that's taking a bunch of people, 
or you see some canoes going by or the Mark Twain or on a busy day, also the Columbia. Like the fact that there's so much traffic there makes it feel like this is a real living place as opposed to like a theme park. And of all of the lands, the most immersive, authentic, in my opinion, is that corner of the park. Like that feels like a completely different place. You're in fantasy land. It feels like you're in a fake Bavarian village. Like it, it, it's immersive and, and cute, but you also are like, I'm in fantasy land. Uh, Toontown is a fake place. Authentically Western is that corner of the park, the Frontierland, New Orleans Square, Critter Country. And I just love it so much. Uh, and the Mark Twain plays a big part of it, even as you go around it. And they've done a good job hiding Galaxy's Edge or at least allowing it to bleed into that side of the park as you're going around it because the the spires are further back, but they could also kind of be similar to the um, the Big Thunder buttes just on the other side. Uh, so they're not red. They're that like gray color. Anyways, um, yeah, it's just such an authentic corner of the park. I really like it. In this matchup, I don't know. I think that when I best Disneyland 1955, uh, the Mark Twain is not as representative of Disneyland as iconic as the iconic Jungle Cruise is. I think that the Jungle Cruise provides that entertainment value. It provides that taking you to a different world, which is this jungle, this immersive experience. It can be leisure. It was supposed to be slightly thrill i guess you could say uh but it's now much more of this fun quirky thing that i just really like so i'm gonna go with the number one seed jungle cruise here i'm i'm sticking to mark twain based on everything you said about it providing kind of an authenticity to that corner of the park and i mean i like i will go down with the ship pun very much intended when it comes to defending transportation attractions (laughs) i think they are the linchpin of the park like they are what makes Disney parks Disney parks, you know. I mean, so, so, so is the Jungle Cruise of transportation. I mean, they both go in a circle. They both have a narration that explains what you're seeing no. around you. You no, both, no, you go, no. you get off at no. the same dock. This isn't like no. you're being transported anywhere else. You arrive and leave on the same dock. All right, so Peter Pan is a transport ride because it's All transporting you around everything. an empty warehouse. Everything is a transport ride at Disneyland. Stop. Dumbo is a transport ride. Teacups are a transport ride. Roger Rabbit. No. Transport ride. It's a cab. (laughs) Roger Rabbit transports me straight to hell every time. Um so so you're wrong, but uh I think you Yeah, literally, I, I totally lost my train of thought because that was one of the worst things you've ever said on this podcast. <laughs> wow, that's coming. That means a lot coming from you. <laughs> oh man. Um, I think I think something to consider is like the spectacle of Disneyland on opening day. You know, I've never. Uh, gathered the courage to watch all two hours of the Disneyland opening day special, but oh, you there was it. this, there was this big, there was this, you know, ceremonious element to the whole thing. And I think the, 
grandiosity of the Mark Twain and kind of the uh, the elegance of the vessel is uh, very representative of what Walt was trying to bring to the themed entertainment industry and the amusement park industry. Uh, I'm I'm going uh, Mark Twain. I'm riding it to the final four. So Tess, you're breaking a tie. This is one of the harder match matchups, um, for sure. I mean, they're both very, they're both very 1955 Disney, and they're also very current Disney. Both attractions I do a lot. Um, one of my favorite, one of my favorite things from the 1955 opening day attraction, besides the Mickey and Minnie horror show of them walking, <laughs> running through, holding hands through Frontierland, um, was the fact that, like, I don't know, they didn't have a, I'm not in the film industry, but, you know, they didn't have someone telling them what to do, or they were just running it, and, like, they had two minutes of airtime left, and they hadn't gone to Adventureland yet, and they, like, did a very quick thing about Jungle Cruise, and then the end, um, that... <laughs> It's just very 1955 Disneyland. Chris, you have to watch it. You have to watch it. It's so good. So good. It's so good. I mean, you can read about it. Have, have you guys read Disney's Land by Richard somebody? It's a really good um, Disney biography, Disneyland biography for sure. Um, and it goes into detail. And so I was really glad I read it before I watched the YouTube clips because it just made it so much more entertaining. Um when I think of which ride, I mean, they're both really repeatable. Um, I think uh, Kyle's selling me on the horror culture aspect. I mean, that was one of my favorite parts of the book from Disney's Land was um, the upside down orange trees and how they just made made literal Disney magic and made something into um, made something out of nothing. So I think I'm gonna go with Jungle Cruise. There it goes, Chris. Elegance at its finest. Mark Twain, when they uh, were trying to do its maiden voyage on opening day, uh, they had an actress from Showboat. Her name is Irene Dunn, and she couldn't break the glass mm. over the bow. The glass kept bouncing off, and they couldn't christen <laughs> the boat. And so they just ended up like trying, trying, trying it. You need to watch the the opening day special. It's fantastic. <laughs> All right, let's move on to the next matchup. It's number 13, Mr. Toad's Wild Ride versus number five, King Arthur's Carousel. I went through a toad phase. Like I said on the last episode, I was in Wind in the Willows in high school. <laughs> I, was, I was a weasel. I used to love seeing those little weasels pop down from the, from the ceiling in like that very first scene. Yep. Uh, so I had a phase, but I, I have since grown out of that phase as more and more things get added to the Disney ride roster. It's just, it, it was just the bottom of the pecking order and it's kind of come off my list of things to do. And I think that with all of the exciting changes to Alice in Wonderland over the last five to 10 years, it has overtaken Mr. Toad in my power rankings of dark rides at the Disneyland Resort. So we've, we've, got two dark rides on this bracket still and so mr toad is the one that like i'm i'm good sending that one home especially up against king arthur's carousel i think when disney twitter folks and blue check mark folks on twitter think about disney parks the demand is high for e-tickets the demand is high for dark rides but 
like I was saying with transport rides, these smaller attractions are, they're the linchpins that make the park what it is. Um, and not a Six Flags park where it's just like crazy roller coaster, crazy roller coaster, ride that's going to make you throw up, ride that's going to make you throw up, crazy roller coaster, carnival game. Like it's, it's these little in-between ones that I think uh, that are high quality that, that make Disney stand out amongst other amusement parks in the amusement park industry. Uh, I love, like we said on the last episode, the, the kind of mood that the carousel sets for the Fantasyland area with its music, with its kinetic energy, with all of those white horses setting a very regal atmosphere about the space. I really like, other than the fact that dark rides will like blow your mind and you can ride a carousel anywhere, uh, I don't really have a whole lot of things that Mr. Toad could uh, kind of like. I don't have a lot of ways that Mr. Toad's Wild Ride is a better attraction than King Arthur's Carousel. Uh, so I'm going to advance the carousel to the final four. Yeah, I think I'm going to do the same because I think that the carousel is important to that area of Fantasyland because I almost can't even imagine Fantasyland without the carousel. No. Um, nope. Because it it is that that kinetic center, like what the Mark Twain and all of the the river boats do for Frontierland, like what the Astro Orbiter um, does for Tomorrowland. Having something that's moving and active in the middle of the land makes the land feel alive. And I think that's why Toontown feels dead, is because there's literally nothing happening. It's all behind closed doors uh and so you go back there and you're just like what what is this what is this place there's not anything happening compared to the rest of the park so i definitely agree with you it sets the mood it really feels like it not only belongs but it it carries that atmosphere more so than really anything else in the land uh except for maybe dumbo but Dumbo's even off to the side so like Carousel's pulling a lot of weight. So I agree with you. Uh, number five, King Arthur's is definitely going to move on past Mr. Toad. Tess, do you have any issues with that? It's fine. I mean, Mr. Toad's is more repeatable for me, so I probably would have gone that route. But I, um, that King Arthur's carousel is is important to the aesthetic of Fantasyland. So sounds good to me. Perfect. Let's move on to our next matchup. It is the number two Peter Pan's flight versus the number seven, Dumbo the Flying Elephant. Uh, Peter Pan has kind of an interesting history because it really set the bar. It was really just ahead of its time for dark rides as we know them today. Uh, Peter Pan has always been kind of the staple, like Chris, you brought up. Longest line. People love to see it. They've updated the effects. It's a it's a amazing dark ride. Um even from the beginning, it was they. This was one of the only dark. This was the only dark ride that had sets that were also three dimensional. So when you fly into the kids' bedroom, those were like three dimensional objects. They weren't cardboard or weren't plywood like painted neon signs like they were in other dark rides. You like went into the bedroom. There was a crib and there was like a chair, and you felt like you were actually in it. And then when you flew out of the window and you fly over those like rooftops, 
those were like three dimensional like set pieces. And that was so immersive for the time that people were losing it like that. It's awesome. It feels like you're actually going through the window into a flight over London. And I found these these notes about that original flight out the window that I don't know if they still exist today because on this last trip, we didn't go on Peter Pan and I don't really remember uh, experiencing this. But apparently at that time, and maybe even now, when you fly through the window, you're supposed to be getting hit with like a, a blast of AC or, or, or cold air because you're flying into the nighttime uh, atmosphere out the warm house into the cold night. And I've never experienced or can remember experience like it getting colder as I went through the window, um, which could just mean that I'm not paying attention or that they needed to crank up the AC and make that effect. I think that's an awesome little like tidbit to add to the entire attraction is like you're going outside. It's going to be a little chillier. I don't know if I've like actively thought that i have been like ooh, i got chills going like over london here maybe, maybe it's because <laughs> i hit, got hit with a super cold air conditioner yeah maybe yeah yeah i'm too busy singing along so i'm not paying attention to anything else <laughs> and then the second thing that i have never noticed and maybe they don't do it anymore is in that first iteration when you fly over london and there's all of the little cars moving on the street um that was still in effect. It probably wasn't as great as it is now as <laughs> smooth running, but apparently they had sounds coming up from the floor to sound like a busy street down below. Um, maybe now the soundtrack is just blasting too loud or maybe they just overran it with the soundtrack and they don't even use that effect anymore. But I can't remember hearing like the traffic down below. Um, but the, the it's also the soundtrack is like blaring <laughs> throughout the entire ride. Uh, but I, I thought that was cool. And that was very thoughtful of that time, especially when the other dark rides had two dimensional objects in them and they were just putting black light on those objects and saying, here's a dark ride, you know, uh, to go through all of those effects is really cool. So just like Snow White's, you are Peter Pan, uh, and, and the kids flying through this in the initial version of it. Um, they didn't have like the, the Peter Pan figure. You never saw Peter. You were. And that's evident by the, um, the scene where you fly by uh, Captain Hook and Mr. Smee before there was a Peter Pan. They were just like there. And he's pointing up at the, at the ships and he screams out uh, to Smee to shoot down the ships. He says, shoot them down. Shoot them out of the air. Like that, that was in the original soundtrack because you are Peter Pan. Like shoot them out of the air which I think is really cool. Uh, obviously, people weren't getting it, which is why they made it more of a storytelling atmosphere or a storytelling, storytelling narrative that we see now with Peter Pan and we see all of these scenes with them. But I thought that was cool when I came across it in my research. And even better, Skull Rock in the middle of the attraction that now you kind of like go around and, and like past before it was this huge set piece that you would fly through the eye of Skull Rock. And I just think like this attraction and the not even the immersiveness, but the way that they use special effects, the way that they changed how you were going to ride through this by dangling from the ceiling in a boat as opposed to in a car on the track on the ground. It's just incredible that they even thought to, to take it this way, take it this far. 
it's super cool. Uh, the, the history of this ride is fascinating to me. It's up against Dumbo, the flying elephant. Uh, we get, we got drunk, drunk elephants, uh, flying around. That's the drunk dream. They're all supposed to be different elephants. Uh, and that line that I, I couldn't find last time, uh, last, last episode comes from the Disneyland encyclopedia by Chris Strotter. And it says that the original design of the attraction had 10 ride vehicles, which were intended to represent not the quote unquote one and only Dumbo, but the alcohol induced quote unquote pink elephants seen from the film. So that I just wanted to cite my source because I, I didn't want to feel like I was just claiming that and it wasn't real. It's in the Disneyland encyclopedia. It's uh, canon. Yeah, it's canon. It's canon. It's canon. So these are, this is drunk Dumbo's dream is these multiple elephants flying around. And it, it, it's that awesome energy of fantasy land that you have all these things moving. You have the boat, you have the train, you have the carousel, you have Dumbo. Well, you also have all of these dark rides that Disney's really well known for. But I think like that Disney magic and the, and the ingenuity and the thinking ahead and, and pushing the limit that we just love to see out of them, hence the flying Spider-Man robot, comes through here in Peter Pan's flight. And while it's not necessarily a, a ride every time I'm there because the line's a little too long, um, I think it just does wonder to set, it just does wonders to set the bar for what dark rides could be uh, from its inception in 1955. So I'm going number two, Peter Pan's flight. Uh, I'm totally with you. Um, I think if one dark ride is going to survive until the end, it's going to be this Peter Pan attraction. Uh, Dumbo, I think everything that it does right, King Arthur's carousel does it a little bit better. So I'm good advancing the superior dark ride over the inferior spinner. Uh, Tess, do you agree with this advancement of Peter Pan? Um, clearly with my outfit tonight, but yes, <laughs> I definitely <laughs> ride Peter Pan more than Dumbo. Although I do like the views of Dumbo at nighttime, especially seeing Fantasyland lit up, but Peter Pan's definitely superior. All right. So let's move on to the final round of eight matchup. It is number three, Disneyland Railroad versus number 11, Snow White's Adventure before it was scary, before it was an enchanting wish. I mean, for me, it's a Disneyland Railroad. Like, I love a, I like, I love a transport ride, and I love waving to people. And I think we broke it down really, really well on the last episode. Like, the yeah. fact that you could ride this railroad around the whole park, see everything, uh, plan your day out accordingly after being able to see that all, all of the park that it has to offer. Um, you could kind of like witness the size of this like whole project um, and, and really kind of experience the weight of, of Disneyland as a place uh, and it being so different from all of the amusement parks that came before it and, and would come after it as well. I think today it has incredible lasting appeal. It's definitely... A, a very niche interest nowadays, railroads and uh, locomotives and that kind of stuff. But I don't care who you are. Sitting in one of those train stations and seeing that first car come through the tunnel or around the bend, and it's got that smokestack churning, and it is shiny AF. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's, it's 
it's a sight to behold. I mean, it's a mechanical wonder, this railroad. And, uh, you know, they don't, they don't make them like this anymore. You, you got your Am- Amtrak train is just kind of like a silver rectangle. It's, it's, it's really a work of art in itself. I really appreciate that about the Disneyland Railroad. Uh, I don't really have any other fun facts or pieces of history or anything like that. Uh, I, I really want to see it go against the dark ride in Peter Pan's flight here. I don't want to see uh, Snow White move on to the final four. So I'm going with the railroad. <laughs> I'm going to also go with the railroad. I think it's just more representative of what uh, Disneyland is and will be really uh, this kind of blast from the past that is also forever changing uh, and that's been evident they've changed the route for it they've added things to it uh, i think it, it it was the staple it's what besides the carousel it's really what walt had in his mind as like this is what's going to be in this park that i make you brought that up last time um i agree i do have the history i do have some trivia but I'll save it for the next round uh, and I can dive into it a little bit here. But Tess, uh, scary trees, they're gone. Are you sad about it? No, because like I said, whenever we talked about Snow White last, I can just watch Disneyland fun and get those scary trees. So I'm okay with it. (laughs) (laughs) All right. We're in the final four. Let's talk about it. It's the number one Jungle Cruise versus the number five King Arthur's Carousel. If you really think about it, these are two transport rides, Chris. Stop with that. Please stop. <laughs> Please don't say that ever again. <laughs> um, this is, yeah, these next two matchups, these final fours are, these are really tough because I think that this is the taste of, of Disneyland here I, besides Tomorrowland, but like Tomorrowland's a mess. And it especially was in 1955. Especially was in 1955. So if this was a quintessential bracket, all four are Tomorrowland exhibits. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's there's no way it's not. Um, yeah, so Jungle Cruise talked a lot about it. Have nothing else to say about it. Number five, King Arthur's Carousel. Does a lot for the environment, but I've, I, I don't know that I've been on it. Maybe when I was a kid, but definitely not in my adult life. There's a ton. Yeah, I've. No, I don't really care about carousels. <laughs> I have, I have a, not I'm even, sure. not even to find the Mary Poppins horse and ride the Mary Poppins horse. Yeah, you know, if this horse was like preserved in its state and has always been the same, and this is like this this wonder of the attraction, then maybe. But it's been like it was painted gold at one point. Like it, it's just for all we know, different horse. We don't know. Um, it's like that uh, vision thing, the ship. Yes. I wanted to talk about Jingles a little bit, but I also don't care enough about Jingles to talk about Jingles. Jingles is the horse, the lead horse on this carousel that at the 50th anniversary of the parks, they dedicated to Julie Andrews because Mary Poppins and Mary Poppins rode a carousel horse in the movie and they made it special because she's the the queen of disney basically uh in in walt's eyes um so now that horse is the special one that leads the pack and has a a special ornate reins and 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 design 
And they painted it gold during that 50th because they did that for all of the 1955 attractions. They got one one vehicle or element that was all gold and Jingles was that, which feels like, uh, why would you do that? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, so yeah, so even, even if so, um, the Jungle Cruise is just one of those things that makes Adventureland. I mean, I guess like Indiana Jones can, but like if you're thinking 1955 Adventureland, there's really nothing else there because the treehouse wasn't even there yet. Once the treehouse was there, kind of the icon of, of Adventureland, I guess, because there's nothing else there. But um, and now it's Tarzan. Could care less to walk through that. Jungle Cruise is just like a full on experience. I love walking through the queue because I love listening to that old timey radio. When I work, I throw on that that loop all the time. That radio loop. It's it's great. Wow. I love it. So it's gonna be a jungle cruise for me. I, I like what the carousel does for Fantasyland, but as far as best attraction goes, it's not gonna be the carousel that I could do elsewhere, including a lot of malls in America. It's going to be the adventure through an actual jungle in the middle of Anaheim, California. I mean, uh, Tess shouted it out. Eventually, as an afterthought for me, for 1955 Disneyland. It was in the broadcast, and it is in my brain as well. <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know what it is about just like that exploration thing. Like, never resonated with me really at all, other than for Indiana Jones. So, like, for me, it's definitely a pretty easy choice in the carousel. I don't know what I got to do to get the Jungle Cruise off this bracket. Uh, so, Tess, this one's going to you. Hold on. I need the rum punch for this. Oh, okay. Uh, we're, on, we're on the second baby. star, second rum to the right now. <laughs> Ooh, it smells good from far away. I'm telling you guys, just buy canned cocktails. They're great. So good. Oh, that's so good, you guys. Just get canned Bacardi and stop buying liquor. It's great. I mean, it's still liquor. It's not malt. It's like actual rum. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, I, it's, it's hard for me to judge these as what's the best 1955 attraction. Because part of me is like, what would I feel like was the best attraction in 1955? Um, it was probably the attraction that worked, to be honest, because there's so many problems. But um, I also want to think about what I like to experience today. Um, you know, Jungle Cruise is one of those rides that yeah, there's a script and sometimes you, you know, or all the time you hear the same jokes over and over again. But I feel like for the most part, each skipper has their own way of flaring it. Like they really just really take the vibes from the audience, at least the good ones, um, which I've had really good skippers in the past. King Arthur's Carousel, I think really brings something to fantasy land. It's the center point, you know, the music is great. Um, but I just, I got to go with Jungle Cruise. It's just, it's, it's Disneyland. Sorry. It's, it's just a ride I don't really get, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, apparently. All right. So who will meet the Jungle Cruise in the finals? It's the number two Peter Pan's flight versus number three Disneyland Railroad. We got one, two, three here. Bam. Yeah. So, so this is a great matchup. I mean, this is like a finals matchup for me. You've got... The the old like line is it all started with a mouse. 
Yeah. <laughs> but when it comes to Disneyland, it all started with a train. <laughs> because this is what Walt was super into um, after the trauma that was the uh, the the communism hearings right. and the uh, the animation strike of you know whatever he kind of kind of like got over the the movie making thing and transitioned his passion for entertainment into a passion for trains and so as he was thinking about creating this amusement park. He he took his his love for these model trains and was like, there needs to be three of these in in the <laughs> Disneyland, you know, uh, and the one that we got and the one that still exists today is is just one of the best in the world. I, I like that it is kind of the original inspiration for Disneyland. Yeah. But then you've got Peter Pan's flight, and while I don't think the dark ride was the original inspiration for. Disneyland it kind of has become Disneyland Park as we know it t- today not so much in the actual ride system itself but in the idea of innovation yeah and illusion and immersion that is all present in Peter Pan's flight and like that's what they were going for and obviously they accomplish it much better today than they did back then but uh, the spirit of like imagineering was born with dark rides. I think one of my favorite things about Walt as a leader was the trust that he put in smart people. Yep. And nowadays, people get so fixated on being an expert in something before they can do anything. And Walt was was the type of person that he if he knew how your brain worked and he knew you well enough, he trusted you to take on any project that was in or outside of your skill set. And that is evidenced in all of these dark rides that were put into Disneyland upon opening. They're like, hey, Mark Davis, you're a great animator. Right. I know you know nothing about engineering or designing an amusement park attraction, but you are smart and you are creative and you're a great worker. So I'm going to trust you to invent this contraption um, and and they freaking did it, you know, and it still stands today. So like, you know, it's the it, these it, these two different spirits of Disneyland Park. And while I would probably rather ride the Disneyland Railroad, and I love uh, you know, the transportation ride and waving to people from the railroad, <laughs> and I think it is quite majestic and. And the jumping off point of Disneyland in 1955, it's that spirit of innovation that was there when the park was created and still remains there today as such an important part of the fabric of Disneyland. And, and that is the reason why I'm advancing number two, Peter Pan's flight to the final. Wow, I'm surprised. I'm so surprised by that. You can't wave I to people to... on Peter Pan. I can wave to Smee. I can wave to Kathy <laughs> Hood. Look, I just wish that they could retheme it to a better movie. You know, like imagine flying over Arendelle and like seeing uh, Elsa's ice castle up in the mountains, like to scale, you know, like a blacklit model. How did you manage to get frozen into a 1955 episode? What the hell? (laughs) That's what I do, baby. (laughs) 
And while we're at it, why don't we retheme the Jungle Cruise to Tangled and make it like a, you know, little lantern ride? <laughs> Sorry, that was a stretch. Yeah, <laughs> you went for it. I appreciate it. Um, I promise. As long as Shorty's on it, I'm there. Yeah, there you go. I promise the, jungle, some... the skippers wear diapers and they're just <laughs> drunk the whole time. <laughs> All right, now you I'm guys sold. have to watch the Tangled series. It's so good. You would love it. <laughs> I promised some history and trivia about this Disneyland Railroad, and I'll deliver it now. I think Walt always knew that he loved trains, a big part of his life, but Ward Kimball is really who unlocked that for him. That's his one of his favorite animators, one of the night old men. One of the the ones that he entrusted in developing this park alongside him. And Ward had a miniature railroad in his backyard. And Walt saw that and it was like, I need to get me one of those. And he did the same exact thing and built one in his own backyard. And that's just what you've been saying is like this park and, and his love of trains is what really paired so well together in order to make it happen. Um Originally, this was called the Santa Fe Disneyland Railroad because sponsorships, got to get somebody to pay for this stuff. And uh, it originally had two locomotives, the E.P. Ripley and the C.K. Holiday. And they were both made at the Disney studio. And in 1958, a third one was added because it turns out that guests also really love trains. But this one was a, a, an actual locomotive uh, built in 1894 that had been used to haul sugarcane in Louisiana which is like crazy to me that that was its life and now it's at Disneyland, um, that they stripped and made uh, ready for the park. So I just thought that was awesome. Um, also, Chris, the original stations were Main Street and Frontierland. And then Fantasyland Station was added in 1956. Tomorrowland in 1958. Fantasyland became the Videopolis station. Oh, let's go. In 1988. And then the Toontown station in 1992. I had no idea that they changed the station name to Videopolis. <laughs> like, imagine <laughs> rolling up to Disneyland with your boys and you're like, yo, you want to walk to Videopolis? No, nah, nah. let's take the Disneyland railroad. <laughs> and you're just like, you're just like on the train, just like getting so hyped, like getting in the zone, be like, mm, we're good. Let's go, baby. You make your way through the primeval world and you're like, oh, yeah, these dinosaurs. I can't wait to get to video. <laughs> this is what I need right now. <laughs> oh, man. I just uh, I love that fact. Um, everything you said is absolutely true. I was going to go with Disneyland Railroad, but in a crazy change of fate by your arguments of the innovation and the expertise and just the the will to make something that hasn't happened happen such as peter pan's flight uh is really that spirit of disneyland and has been instilled in it since literally 1955 um i agree with you tess you looked a little pained when i started going there I have a feeling that you wanted the railroad into the finals. I'm just so surprised. I mean, the railroad is such a staple. I mean, yeah. in in the Disney biographies I've read, you know, I love reading about the making of the dark rides, but I mean, I mean, you can see the Disneyland rails 
railroad from the Esplanade. You can see it and hear it. Mm -hmm. It's just such an icon of the park. So I'm just shocked. I mean, I, I clearly like Peter Pan as well, but I mean, one of my favorite park mem memories was my one of very few solo days in the park where I went at rope drop and I went straight to pirates and I almost got a boat to myself and there was, but they didn't let me get a boat by myself. They wanted to fill up the boat, but it wasn't filled up because there was a guy two rows in front of me. So it was just the two of us in a pirate's <laughs> boat. So that was awkward. Whatever. Got off the boat, got a mint julep and beignets, no line. Cause it was whatever, eight something in the morning and went straight on the train and went on the train eating my beignets. And it was great. I mean, that's just like the perfect Disney trip. It's just seeing Disneyland from the yeah. train so sure. i'm just surprised it's fine whatever here we as are long as, not, as long as it's not an extinct attraction it's fine <laughs> <laughs> well then you weren't going to be disappointed after round one because uh, none of them made it over here correct i made sure that happened so it's fine <laughs> all right Let's talk about it. It's the finals. It's the one-two matchup. It's the Jungle Cruise versus Peter Pan. There's really nothing else to say about these two. But what I think is deserving of the crown and what I think really embodies that spirit of Disneyland, both from innovation standpoint, from a pure environment, immersive standpoint, uh, these both could could do it. But to me... It's got to be the Jungle Cruise. Number one seed for me has to take the crown because I think that it's one of those things like the like the teacups where that that experience during the day different than at night. At night, the skippers have this like spotlight that they're shining around. You feel like you're you're away. You feel like you're not at the Jungle Cruise. You're on a different, different experience, different ride. I just like that duality. I like that you do feel like you're being transported into a river. It took until, obviously, it took until I was like, I don't know, probably a teen to realize like where the Jungle Cruise was situated in the park in, re in relation to like the Esplanade. Like the fact that it's right by the main gate, but if you don't think about it, you wouldn't even know that is pretty impressive. Uh, so the way that they're able to do it with an outdoor attraction is crazy. It's just phenomenal. Um, Peter Pan's flight is an incredible achievement, especially for 1955. But the vibes of Walt in 1955 of like having this true life adventure series and wanting real animals and not going there because you shouldn't and they, they couldn't and he did it with the pack meals anyways. And we saw how it, it landed like this. So they they got innovative and made these animatronic animals like all of these things that they had to do to make this ride happen just does also feel like the spirit of Disneyland, like what they did with Peter Pan's flight. Um, I'm going Jungle Cruise, Chris. I, I suddenly have this sinking, <laughs> disgusting feeling in the pit of my stomach Yeah, where I, where I regret not advancing the Disneyland Railroad. <laughs> 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 because now I have to, in good faith, crown Peter Pan's flight as the winner of this bracket, <laughs> which, like, I didn't really want to do coming into this. It's already won the best <laughs> Fantasyland ride. 
I didn't really want to give a fantasy land attraction the title here, but like it's all we have left when going up against Jungle Cruise, which like I just don't ride it. And I just don't think about it when I think about 1955 originals. And I, like, I understand everything that you're saying, but it just doesn't have the same weight on me when I think about the attraction. So sure. like, I can't, like, I, I have nothing to work with for the Jungle Cruise. <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, it, it's Peter Pan's flight for, for like for everything I said last round. And I mean, it's the land of yesterday and tomorrow and fantasy, not yesterday, tomorrow, fantasy and adventure All right. on the plaque. You know, it's like what was what I'm trying to say. So like the fan the fantasy aspect is is higher than the adventure aspect on the on the, the tiers for what Disneyland offers. So as I'm Peter Pan, Tess, you're crowning our winner here. So please do not let me down. <laughs> this see, I'm with I'm with you, Chris, that it's hard for me to just like hand Peter Pan the 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 winner the to crown Peter Pan since thirty one Fantasyland fantasy land bracket. Um did I okay. Did I crown the finals winner? Did I break the tie in the twenty tens one? Because this is at least the third time that I'm crowning the winner. <laughs> I don't even remember who won the last bracket. So No twenty is... the twenty tens winner was D twenty three. And I think I oh, wanna I say would not have picked that. Yeah, I want to say you did not. You yeah. did not break. That I would not have picked that. <laughs> okay, that was a weird well, third one. time's the charm. It was. It definitely was. Took a lot of research that one. Um, well, third time's the charm with the break and a tie over here. Yeah. Um, it's so hard because I love the experience of Jungle Cruise. I love laughing at the corny jokes and I love screaming the backside of water. Um, I'm super excited to see the revamp. Um, you know, it's just, I don't know. I mean, Peter Pan is a ride that when I went for the, back when I was a vacationer, which now I guess I am since passes aren't, annual passes aren't a thing. And who knows when they'll come back since it's all the people coming to the parks are annual pass holders and Disney lovers, you know, who knows when, <laughs> who knows when we'll get back to monthly payments ever again. But, um, I mean, back when I was a vacationer, I would wait in that 40-minute Peter Pan ride. And I remember one time, it was after one of the, um, it had been refurbished and, you know, we came back and, like, they added twinkle, twinkle lights or something to the beginning. Like, it was so dumb. Like, we waited in such a long line and, like, the refurb was nothing. But, like, we waited in the 40-minute line and then it broke down and we waited, like, another 40 minutes because we didn't want to lose our spot in line. And I don't think I would do that for Jungle Cruise. So... I didn't think I was going to crown Peter Pan. I mean, if it was the rail, like the railroad would have won. You guys messed up, but I, I have to crown Peter Pan, especially just from reading the Disneyland biographies that I have, like just learning about how the dark rides came to be. Like I, I have to give it to Peter Pan over. So Chris, you fi you finally got your way. <laughs> in some go. This bracket. <laughs> All right. Well, Peter Pan's flight wins its second Mouse Madness crown. And as we do at the end of every single bracket, we're going to clap it out. Yeah, um, I'm, I can't say that I saw Peter Pan's flight winning this. Uh, I, I'm surprised that 
you didn't pass on the Disneyland Railroad, to be honest. But um, here we are. Peter Pan's flight. Got it. Um, Tess, thank you so much for sticking with us, uh, having double rums to the to the right to crown to crown Peter Pan's flight. It seems like uh, it was meant to be. You you manifested it with your your vibes today. So we appreciate you breaking these ties and crowning a winner for us. Well, thanks for inviting me, and uh, it's it's been a it's been a wild ride. All right, everyone. Well, like we we've already admitted that we've screwed up this bracket. <laughs> But like we can't <laughs> undo it. Well, I wasn't like, going to include that part in the episode. But. It, it's over though. Like that's how brackets work. It's done. Like yeah. what's done is done. So if you have something to say about, it, please reach out to us. Email us at mousemadnesspodcast at gmail Do you have a bracket idea of your own, and would you like to co-host that bracket so that we don't mess things up in the future? Please, we would love to have you on this show. Hit us up on social media. We're on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and Discord. All of those are linked in the description of this podcast. Till next time, folks. Uh, Yo! Yeah, there you go.